0: Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1 877 669 1292.
1: And I'm Howie Silbiger. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you being here. I am happy to be here with you. Uh, we are uh, live right here on the True Talk Radio Network. And uh, you could call in, numbers to call, one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. 1292 That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two, 1292 to be part of the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. It is 2021, 2021. And that means that we have been doing this show in this format for 20 years. We started the show in this particular format, in this current format. We started the show in 2001. And we've been doing the show in this format for 20 years. And uh, I'm happy to keep producing show after show and keep doing this uh, 20 years in the running. I've been doing uh, a show. Not this particular show, but I've been doing a show for 26 straight years, and so uh, this year uh, marks the 20th year in this format as the uh, Howie Silberger Show, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Um, There are going to be a couple of changes, though. We're we're making a few changes, and uh, the changes are going to take effect starting this month, The full-length Howie Silberger Show, the show that you are watching right now, which is the full-length version of the Howie Silberger Show, will air on Sunday nights, as as it currently is. And uh, Political Hitman will air at midnight on Tuesdays, so Wednesday morning at midnight, so Tuesday, 11.59 uh, p.m. The Political Hitman will air on True Talk Radio and on um, Israel News Talk Radio. So we're going to continue doing that. But those are the only two full-length programs I'm going to do during the week. Uh, the rest of the week I will spend, uh, perhaps, the plan is. Now, uh, of course, plans sometimes change. But the current plan is that for, I will be producing some uh, commentaries that will air on uh, True Talk Radio and we'll, um, we'll have video versions right here on um, on the True Talk Radio Network. So I'll post up video versions onto uh, onto Facebook, onto uh, Twitter, onto um, onto uh, uh, YouTube. So that's that's what I'm going to do. Uh, so the full-length version we'll do on Sunday night. Sheldon will be here. I'll be here. Eventually, Mark will be back. He'll be here. And, uh, and, and outside of that, we are going to... Um, we are going to, I'm going to just do some shorts. I'm not going to do full versions of the show uh, outside of Sundays anymore. Uh, you can call in one 669 1292 Of course, you can follow all the news and all the latest updates on the Howie Silberger Show by going to the Howie Silberger Show page on Facebook or by, um, by, uh, by following uh, the Howie Silberger Show group on Facebook. Uh, that's that's where all the information from the show will be will be heard, will be will be posted. The uh, later on in the show, I'll be joined by Mayor Weinstein. He is the chairman of the Jewish Defence League Canada. They have been actively busy, and we'll be talking about anti-Jewism in Canada. It is a uh, it is a growing problem, and it is something that we have to talk about. So we'll be talking about anti-Jewism in Canada a little later on with Mayor Weinstein from the Jewish Defense League. Uh, right now, I want to talk to you, and I, w- I want you to talk to me. So feel free to call in one is a live show, so feel free to call in one Now, like I said, the, uh, the plan is that we won't be doing the, um, the full version of the show, the, uh, the long version of the show, uh, during the week It'll be a Sunday show, as it has been for 20-odd years. And uh, during the week, I will hopefully be able to do some commentary pieces, a few uh, few minutes of commentary pieces uh, throughout the week, and, of course, political hitmen on uh, on Wednesday mornings, Tuesday, uh, Wednesdays at midnight in the morning. Um now the reasons behind us. Uh, there's there's various reasons behind us. I know some people say, "Oh, you always say you're changing things, and you never do anything." And there's reasons why things happen uh, the way they happen, and and it doesn't necessarily have to do with uh, with income. It doesn't necessarily have to do with uh, with the amount of money I make from the show because I make no money from the show. The show costs me money every month. Uh, the studio here costs money. The equipment I I, I purchase for the show costs money. The streaming costs money. The uh, the, the the you know it all costs money everything costs money nothing in life is free and i gladly pay the money i gladly spend the money because i think it's important i think what i do on the air is important i think it is important that we talk about issues that most people aren't talking about i think it's important that we uh, we discuss things that people don't tend to discuss and i think it's important that we uh, that we look at um at situations, and, and we evaluate situations in ways people do not evaluate those situations. And the truth is that we've break some stories here on the uh, here on the Howie Silberger Show. For instance, just, um, just a couple of weeks ago, nobody's picked up the story, but just a couple of weeks ago, I told you about uh, schools changing their lockdown procedures because of COVID. So, um, so schools have ordered their children to stay at their desks in the, in the case of a lockdown where before they would go and huddle in a corner, run to safety, now they're ordered to stay at their desk for fear of, of giving each other COVID, <laughs> for COVID reasons. Now, 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 one has to think that if there's an active shooter in a school and a child remains at his desk or her desk, then uh, that child is an active target. Uh, but, but apparently the, the threat of somebody firing a bullet into our children is less scary than the threat of our children giving each other COVID. This is the kind of COVID lunacy that we've come to. This is the kind of lunacy the world has come to. And, and the lunacy continues. It, it, it expands from there. Uh, so, so I found three schools, and we're still looking, but we found three schools so far that have changed their lockdown procedures to allow uh, to to order p- teachers to keep the children at the desks rather than huddle in a safe corner during a uh, during a lockdown in a school, it is outrageous. It is it is absolutely outrageous, and uh, it is a story that only we are covering, which is fascinating to me. Now, moving on from there, there is a um, there is a, a a a a theory going around. And I'm, I'm picking my words carefully because I don't want to be misinterpreted. So, um, so I'm picking my words very carefully. It has been um, it has been reported over over a course of a few months, uh, quite a few months, that there was a uh, that that the Hasidic community, the Jewish community, the Hasids, the people who dress in the black gowns, the black uh, the black clothing with the hats and the beards and the sideburns, that the Hasidim have been super spreaders of covid. Now we've heard this over and over again right at the beginning of the of the of the covid scare way back in March of last year uh, way back in March of last year the um the newspapers one after another after another after another ran stories about the ultra orthodox Jewish community spreading covid. And then um and then they started running every time they had a covid story they would run a picture of a synagogue to accompany that COVID story, and we've seen that year after year, uh, month after month. Excuse me, not year after year, month after month. We've seen that uh, in in newspapers, and then uh, and then people and then we've heard people say that you know that the biggest spreaders of COVID are the Hasidic community. We heard the um, the governor of New York say that during a press conference. In fact, not only did he say that, but his visuals during that press conference were of Hasidim dancing, and. Uh, uh, dancing and praying, uh, which, which visually stamped into the minds of people watching that press conference that the biggest threat to the population when it comes to COVID is Hasidic people praying. Uh, this is a form of anti-Jewism. This is a form of, anti, of hatred of Jews that, that is manifesting itself. Uh, it, is, it is a, a blood libel. You see blood libels blame Jews for things that happened that the non-Jews couldn't explain or because they wanted to um they wanted to take the Jews and they wanted to lessen the Jews. So 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 blood libels date back to the 15th century uh, Russia where they said the Jews were killing Catholic kids to make matzah around Passover time. And it continued on with uh, with Jews run the banks and they run the corporations and therefore they control the world. They run the governments. It continued with uh, then Jews, uh, that Jews through their 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 blessing of the uh, uh, of their food and the kosherism of their food. Uh, being kosher doesn't necessarily mean the food is blessed, but uh, that's a different story altogether. But that Jews. Uh, because they they eat different foods and because they're, they 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 kosher food, uh, somehow they feel superior to everybody else, uh, and they go on and on and on. And the latest one is that Jews uh, feel that they are immune to COVID nineteen, and therefore the uh, the the Hasidic Jews are super spreaders because they refuse to wear masks, and they refuse to. Uh, and, and they refuse to social distance, and they, 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 they want to keep their schools open. Therefore, they are, they are super spreaders, and they are the cause of the, of the current outbreak of COVID-19. And I've heard this over and over again for months and months and months and months. And for months, I've been talking and, and posting on Facebook and, uh, and, and fighting with people, arguing with them that this is not the case, that the Hasidic community is not to blame for the, the outbreaks of COVID nineteen, and on and on I went defending the Hasidic community, because I I feel that 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 people shouldn't get a bad rap that people should be held accountable, people should be held accountable for their actions, but they're not solely the people who are spreading COVID nineteen. And then there was a story last week that uh, two Hasidic schools were were raided in Montreal. And they were fined because they were running their schools during the COVID-19 lockdown. Horrors of horrors kids were going to learn during the lockdown for COVID-19. Now, many people found this horrific. How could you take kids in school? How could you put them at risk? And the question begs to be answered, and I'm still asking the same question. I get, I get roasted on this all the time. And, you know, I don't mind getting roasted on it because... Many of the many of the regulations for COVID-19. Now, I understand that a lot of people are very sick with COVID-19. I understand a lot of people have died from COVID-19. I understand people with underlying medical conditions could be could be extremely sick, and it's an extremely dangerous uh, disease for people who are at risk. But I also understand that there's a 99.95 uh, percent survival rate of COVID-19. Now, aside from that, putting that aside, I also understand that politicians like using these kind of disease and these kind of scare tactics in order to control the population. And, and that's essentially what is happening right now. The population is being controlled. For instance, take a look at this, uh, at, at this, this ruling in, in Quebec. We're going to talk about Quebec because we're in Quebec. Uh, take a look at the ruling in Quebec that only non-essential, only essential services, only essential goods could be sold in stores. So, the Quebec government came out and said that stores that sell non-essential goods have to close, and stores that sell essential goods could stay open. But they never defined what they considered essential. They gave guidelines. Yes, uh, you know, health and uh, and and home renovation, uh, home repair, and. Um, and they gave general guidelines, but they didn't say specifically what they considered essential, what they didn't consider essential. So right now in Quebec, anywhere in Quebec, you could walk into one store and not be able to buy something and walk into the store next door and be able to buy that same item because the Quebec government didn't give a list of items on what is essential. You could walk into Walmart and see that uh, winter coats in middle December in Quebec, where the uh, temperature is in sub-zero temperatures, uh, are not essential items and they're blocked off from being purchased. But sunscreen is an essential item that is sitting on the counter ready to be bought. The lunacy of this kind of, uh, of edict is just mind-boggling. It is just absolutely mind-blowing that one has to wonder what kind of, what kind of stupidity And really, it's stupidity. What kind of stupidity it is to to think that this is somehow going to stem the spread of COVID. As we can see, lockdowns don't necessarily work. They don't work at all. If lockdowns worked in March, when the first lockdowns happened, COVID would have died. But it didn't. And here we are. We're all in lockdown again. And the numbers are rising, not falling. So lockdowns don't work. So here we are sitting in lockdown uh, with the, with, the uh, with, with not being able to buy things that should be essential, like winter coats, like gloves, like hats, like boots, things that should be considered essential in the middle of the winter. And we cannot buy those those, those seemingly essential stuff, but you can go and you can buy sunscreen and you can buy bathing lotion. That's, that's, that's totally essential. You tell me it makes any sense. I have not been able to make sense of many of the COVID laws. But yet, we continue to follow them because we are compliant with the government. We don't want to fight. Schools are closed because schools are closed. People who want to educate their kids, there are, there are people who want to educate their kids, have to do it online. But what about, what about schools where, where online is impossible? There are, uh, there are certain schools, uh, religious schools, that don't work on the Internet, so, people who don't work on the internet are they are they just plain out of luck? Is that is that really what happens? That they're plain out of luck and okay, so you you don't have internet, too darn bad. Go get internet. Are are, are we supposed to um, are we supposed to lose our integrity uh, because the government tells us we have to? Doesn't make sense to me. It's not logical, and because it's not logical, people aren't following it. Because it's not logical, people, people just just are, are, are just shrugging their shoulders. And I think the shrugging of the shoulders is probably more dangerous than the spread of the disease. Because if people aren't watching what they're doing, it's, pro- it's more problematic than the disease spreading, isn't it? one 877 1292 That's one 669 1292 I was in a bakery the other day. I'm standing in line in the bakery waiting to uh, to place my order. There are seven people allowed in the bakery. Everybody else has to wait outside. So there's seven of us standing in line waiting to order. There's a gentleman behind me, a Hasidic gentleman behind me. He is not wearing a mask, and he's talking on his cell phone. Behind him, there's another gentleman. I'm standing in front of, me, in front of him. There's a lady standing in front of me, and there's somebody at the counter being served. The gentleman behind the Hasidic... A man says to him, hey, buddy, put a mask on. And the Chazidic guy just ignores him. He has, his, he has his cell phone and he's busy talking. And the guy behind him says again, hey, buddy, you're not wearing a mask. Put your mask on. The Chazidic guy turns to him and says to him, listen, I don't have a mask. Uh, I don't have one. I don't, uh, yo, what do you want me to do? I don't have one. The guy says, well, get out of the store and go find one. And the Hasidic guy says, well, look, I I just want to get some bread, and then I'll go. The guy says, no, you can't stand here without a mask. It is the law. That is what the government has mandated. It is the law. So eventually they started fighting back and forth, and the Hasidic guy went to the counter, he got a mask, he put his mask on, then we got back into line. All right, fine. So he's wearing the mask. The guy didn't let up either. The guy behind him never let up. So now the guy's wearing a mask. The guy says, pull it up over your nose. So the Hasidic guy pulls it up over his nose. Then the guy says, starts lecturing him. Is this what they teach you in the yeshiva? Is this what they teach you in, in religious school? Is this what they teach you uh, how, to, how to behave? It is a desecration of God's name for you to be standing there. He laces into the guy and continues to lace into the guy even after the guy put the mask on. I'm standing there and I'm wondering, and I'm thinking. First of all, I know and it is clear, and you can look it up because it is 100% true, that there is absolutely zero, zero evidence, zero scientific proof that masks are effective in COVID. They say that masks perhaps help you because uh, your spit is, not, is being caught into the mask, but, but the microbes of COVID are so small that, is, they, that the masks are fairly insignificant. Okay, so let's say they help just a little bit we we'll, we we'll, we'll give it just a little bit they help they help a bit fine the free coat over somebody not wearing a mask the free over 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 little things that people do uh, the fear that has been infesting the communities where communities where people in the community are are encouraged by the government to rat each other out to report on each other if there's a violation of government standards, this kind of lunacy is almost impossible to back up. So once you've turned people on each other, and once you've created a my side, your side, and the government side of population, it is impossible to back it up. You can't turn it around again. The unity that we once had as a community is now gone, and so the government has turned us onto onto each other. Now, governments that do that historically have been governments that have been trying to oppress minorities, that have been trying to oppress uh, different segments of society. We saw it in Nazi in Nazi Germany. We saw it in uh, in fascist in fascist Italy. You saw this kind of turning populations against each other, having people report each other. Uh, in Russia, Communist Russia, they did that. Uh, having people report each other, having people uh, turn on each other, having people uh, re- you know, not like each other, and, uh, and having the suspicion between people. Once you create the suspicion between people, it's hard to say that we are a unified society. Now, Quebec started it before COVID with, uh, with, with Law 21, where they said that they can't trust people in the classroom who wear who wear yarmulkes or who wear turbans or who wear uh, hijabs they're not trustworthy in the uh, in the classroom they started it they started dividing society then they started even before then but that was the that was that was the catalyst for the current division of society and then when then when um when covid came along it wasn't hard to take that that irrational fear of the other that was created with the Law 21, and to to, to paste it, to copy and paste it into this COVID thing. So now, instead of fearing people with turbans and people with face coverings, which was the initial fear that they created, now you could fear people without face coverings. You see how they flipped it? First, you weren't allowed to wear a mask. They were passing laws saying that uh, if you want to get your driver's license, you couldn't have any kind of face covering. And now they flipped it and said, ah, now you can't go into public without a face covering. See how that works? And and, and society doesn't seem to see, I mean, the general public tends to ignore the, hypocr- the hypocrisy involved in this, which is the most shocking part of this whole thing, is that the government could flip-flop, drive up, and then drive down again, and everyone just says, all right. The government could say, we're closing your stores and your restaurants, your gyms, your bars. You can't do anything, sit at home and do nothing. And people could lose their businesses, lose their livelihoods, lose their lives' work. And the population sits around and just accepts it. Because the fear of COVID is in the air. It's quite scary to, when you come to think of it that we could be manipulated in this way. It's quite scary that we allowed the government to manipulate us in this way. Are you scared of COVID? Are you scared if you had a store? Would you open the store? Do you have a store that you've had to close? Would you prefer to be opened? You could follow COVID regulations. I mean, all stores can, can't they? If the government tells you you can only have 10% of the, uh, of the amount of people allowed in your store, so if you could generally have 50 people in your place, uh, you, 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 could have, you could have five. Uh, the, the does not make sense. I'm I'm you can have 10, excuse me. Does not make sense. I I'm asking you. 1-877-669-1292. That's 877 669 1292 I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. Right here on the True Talk Radio Network, we take a, a couple of minute break. Well, we'll take a maybe maybe a 30-second break. We'll be back in just after this. Welcome back to the Howie Sobiger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for being here. I am happy to be here with you, and I'm glad that you are here with me. Um, you can give me a call, one 669 1292 is the number to call. That's 1-877-669-1292. These COVID regulations, I think they're ridiculous. Uh, I, I think that we have to be careful. I think that uh, washing our hands and uh, using uh, the hand sanitizers when you don't have the opportunity to wash your hands... Uh, taking the opportunity to wear a mask because uh, if there's a 0.01% chance that you're not going to going to uh, transmit the disease to somebody else, you should wear the mask. Uh, aside from that, um, uh, I think social distancing is a great idea. Stay away from people as much as possible until you can get the vaccine out there to enough people for people to be safe. That is the goal, right? For people to be safe. Uh, the goal should not be to scare the bejeebers out of everybody so that when children are are playing on a skating rink in middle of a city town in middle of a city uh, city park, that the police should be called and the uh, children should be yanked out of there out of there out of there out of the rink, because instead of fifteen kids on the ice there are twenty kids on the ice. I Think we're going a little too far with the fear mongering. I think we're going a little too far with 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 the fear with, with infesting the community with fear. I think we have to scale it back a little bit, to bring it back a little bit to normalcy. Every scientific study I've read, and I've read tons of them, every scientific study I've read has said that COVID-19 uh, is, is, is insignificant. The spread of COVID-19 is insignificant when you are outside and you are six feet apart from each other it's insignificant it, it it doesn't even register on on their scale so i mean here we are i mean if you're standing outside or you're playing outside and you're breathing and fine i mean there's 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 no significant risk of catching covid now of course you don't want 100 people on the ice but if the if the limit the, the arbitrary limit at the city sec was 15 people and 20 people were on the ice is there a reason to call the police? Is there a reason to freak out? And this is what we're seeing. I mean to me it's scary it's scary that uh, that that people freak out the way they freak out and it's scary to me that, uh, that that we allow these things to happen and that we're not that we're not ashamed of it that we just let it happen and that we that, that we that we just allow it to go and then we allow people to scapegoat choose. And point their fingers at the Hasidic Jewish community and say, they are responsible. We allow that to happen. The uh, Jewish community wasn't really all that upset about that. We didn't hear very many people screaming and yelling. And we for sure did not see 50,000 people get in the street and protest the, the, the false accusation that the Hasidic community was responsible for, is responsible for the spread of COVID. We don't see too many people complaining about it. And that is, that is the issue I've had with the Jewish community from day one. is that when things happen in the Jewish community, uh, we always point fingers and, and, and we always try to blame the other. The divisions in the Jewish community are, are sad, they're, they're, they're scary, and they shouldn't exist. The Lubavitcher Rebbe once said, a Jew is a Jew. Uh, regardless. Of, there's no such thing as a religious Jew or, or a non-religious Jew. A Jew is a Jew. And that's the way we should be looking at it. Well, I don't like using the terms, and I, I I hardly use them. I I don't use them on the show very often. The term um, "ultra orthodox," I I don't use it very often because I don't think it's a it's a uh, it's an accurate term. I don't think a person who's considered ultra orthodox is any more orthodox than a person who's orthodox, and a person who's orthodox is no more orthodox than a person who's modern orthodox. Um, so so I I don't like these terms. Uh, observant, non-observant, I, I could live with that because that's the that's differentiation between people who follow Judaism and the rules of Judaism and people who don't follow Judaism and the rules of Judaism. So those divisions I could, I could live with. But when we start talking about micro-breaking micro up, micro-separating um, micro the community, that doesn't really work for me all that much. So I, I, like, I like it when we... Uh, when we talk about the Orthodox community, we're talking about the Orthodox community, from modern Orthodox straight through to what you, but what, what a lot of people would consider ultra Orthodox, whatever that means. And when we talk about the non Orthodox community, we talk about everyone from uh, from from uh, from conservatives to straight through down to reform, down to Reconstructionists. We talk about all that group of people, and then they're two totally separate outlooks, two totally separate views on Judaism, two totally separate political views it's a completely different community and this is what we talk about when we talk about the separation of one and the other so when when you point fingers at the orthodox community you're pointing fingers at a large segment of the jewish population who are not necessarily huge um they're not necessarily a huge factor in the spread of covid-19 uh, there are other there are other communities that are spreading covid-19 also but but Somehow, whenever a newspaper runs the article, uh, runs an article about um, about the COVID nineteen spread, they tend to put a picture of a synagogue on the on the cover of their paper. Somehow, that's that's appropriate. I haven't seen twenty mosques or churches put onto the cover, although I know for a fact that mosques and churches have been running, have been running, um, uh, have been running services the same way synagogues have trying to follow the rules as crazy and as stupid and as arbitrary as they are, trying to follow the rules of COVID. I, I've seen mosques and uh, churches running their services, but I haven't seen too many newspapers covering them. I haven't seen too many reporters uh, camped out in front of a mosque taking pictures of Muslims going in to pray, but I've seen them camped out in front of a synagogue taking pictures of Jews going into to pray. I haven't seen too many police raids on mosques or churches, but i have seen police raids on synagogues and i believe that the hatred of jews uh, is always is always just 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 fluttering under the surface and it always pops up in all these cases it pops out and 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 we suffer the consequences of that so um do Jews violate the laws of COVID or the, the, the recommendations of COVID, the, uh, the edicts of the governments for COVID? Do we, do we, uh, do we follow them uh, as stringently as other communities? I would say from what I've seen, pretty much. Uh, are, we, are, are we blatantly thumbing our noses at the, at the authorities and saying, we don't want to follow this, we don't believe in this? Uh, to a certain extent, a minority of people are, but a minority of people are in all the, in all the different uh, segments of the population. And the Jewish population is no different than any other segment of the population. And in the Jewish community, there are those who thumb their nose, but the majority of the community is following the rules and following them according to government standards. And so to point the finger at the Jewish community and to say that the Jewish community is somewhat more responsible for the passing of COVID than any other community is a blood libel. And it is unacceptable. And we should all be outraged by it. And why there are no protests in the streets and why, why we don't hear B'nai B'rith and Federation screaming and yelling uh, about this, why we don't hear, um, why we don't see uh, anybody anybody really sticking their head up and saying, hey, wait a second, what the heck is going on here, is beyond me. Why we're so apathetic when it comes to attacks in our community is beyond me. I've never been apathetic. For the last 20 years on this show, I've been screaming and yelling. For the last 26 years on on radio, I've been screaming and yelling. For the last 30 years as an activist, I've been screaming and yelling. And I will continue to scream and yell as long as my voice is coming out of my body as long as I'm able to think. Got a message on Facebook saying, shh, don't upset the Goyim, don't upset the non-Jews. The still attitude was the attitude of the ghetto Jews uh, in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, and 90s. Uh, I, think, uh, I think it's time to, uh, to, sh- to shatter that, uh, that, that illusion, to shatter that, uh, that idea. I don't care if we upset the non-Jews. Let me be honest. I don't care. I didn't care when I was 18 years old and I started Save All Jews Everywhere. And we protested and we uh, we had a march against anti-Jewism in, in Canada. And we, we did all sorts of political activities and Jewish activities on campus. And we were condemned every step of the way by mainstream Jewish organizations like B'nai B'rith and Canadian Jewish Congress and Federation CJA. In fact, we were so condemned by Federation CJA that 10 years later, I was 29 years old, and I was doing a radio show at Radio Shalom, the Jewish community radio station, and the president of Federation was coming in to, to, to speak about some Federation initiative. I had the most popular show on the station, and the station was forced to bring another host in, throw me out of my studio, bring another host in, because the president of Federation refused to stick with me. That's how much I don't care what they think of me. Uh, that's how much. I don't care. And, and that's what they did. The station brought in another host. During my show, I started the show. Then the host, another host came in. I had to leave the studio before the president of the federation would come in and, and talk to the Jewish community because he refused to be in the same room with me. Because I hold people accountable. I hold people accountable for what they are doing. If they are promoting assimilation and promoting assimilation and and, the, um, and the, the lessening of the Jewishness of the Jewish community, I hold them accountable. And they got upset with me, Federation, because I yelled about the Y opening on Shabbos. I said, on, the Jewish Sabbath, the Y should not be opened. The Jewish Y has to be Jewish. There has to be something Jewish about the Y. And opening on Saturday is not Jewish. So the least they could do, the bare minimum they could do is keep their building closed on Saturday. I lost the battle. It was a, it was a long battle. It was a hard-fought battle. I lost the battle, and I simply lost it because the Jewish community wanted to be like everyone else. They got mad at me because when when, when the Sadie Bronfman Center became the Siegel Center for Performing Arts, because Alvin Siegel decided to to, to give millions of dollars, and so they ripped Sadie Bronfman's name off the building and put Alvin Siegel's name on the building. And when they did that, the tradition of the Sadie Bronfman Center was that they were a Jewish theater, so they didn't open on Friday nights and Saturdays. They didn't work Friday nights and Saturdays. And when Alvin Siegel took over, the great Alvin Siegel, when he took over, and, and his name went on the building, and his money controlled what was happening in that building, then suddenly the building was having place one minute, starting one minute after, after Sabbath. One minute. Yes. That means the audience has to be there. That means the performers have to be there. That means the orchestra or whatever has to be there. That means the lighting people have to be there. Everybody has to be there on the Sabbath in order to watch the play one minute after the Sabbath. Give me a break. And they were getting money from Federation, from the y. They were getting money to uphold Jewish culture. This is why Federation was angry at me. Ben Brith was angry at me too, and the executive director of Bnei Briss, before this one, the, the, the guy before this one, came to me one day and said to me, Howie, we love what you're doing, keep doing it, but we're going to keep condemning you in the public. Because we can't stand behind you, because uh, you know what you're doing is against what the Jewish community wants. Uh, the organized Jewish community wants to be able to be more like everyone else. They lost the concept that the beauty of Judaism the beauty of being Jewish is that we are different from everyone else that we didn't assimilate it always makes me laugh when i see menorahs are being lit, lit by by these these organizations they're, they're putting up these huge menorahs and they're letting it celebrating hanukkah when when they when they're having saturday afternoon pork infested meetings well, well, well. <laughs> the idea of hanukkah the whole story of hanukkah was not so much the, the lighting of the candles in eight days, uh, you know, one one uh, the miracle of Hanukkah, excuse me, wasn't so much the, the, the that the oil lasted for eight days, it should last for one day, that was one of the miracles. The main miracle of Hanukkah, the main thing that is celebrated in Hanukkah, and if you read the book of the Maccabees, this is the story of Hanukkah, is the fact that the Jews were fighting against the Hellenists, the people who want to assimilate Jews into society, and won. And Judaism won over Hellenism. Judaism won over assimilation. So seeing the assimilationists of today lighting menorahs and saying happy Hanukkah, it's kind of oxymoronic, if you ask me. Well maybe not so oxymoronic, but moronic nonetheless. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two, 1292. And then you also see them trying to like you know, trying to trying to connect Hanukkah to Christmas. It's really sickening some some of the things they do a local synagogue bought a, bought a um, they, they had they, they have this uh, this little doll called an elf on a shelf um and it's a Christmas doll and good good for good on them people who celebrate christmas they they, they really do a great job marketing Christmas and I, I'm really proud I'm, I'm really happy for them they have a holiday they're celebrating their holiday good for good on them but Jews don't celebrate Christmas. But, but, of course, Jews are jealous of the Christians who celebrate Christmas, naturally. So one of the synagogues went out and bought something called a mench on a bench, which was a takeoff on an elf on a shelf. So already we have a Christmas imagery, and then they, the synagogues started using it in their marketing campaign. What? What? Can't we do better than this? Can't we do better than this? It, it's, it's revolting. If you ask me, it's revolting. And, 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 then, and then we realize that no matter how much we try to assimilate into society, no matter how much we try to be like everyone else, society still hates the Jew. They still point the finger and say, the Jew is responsible for COVID. The Jew, look at the Jew, look what the Jew is doing. There could be a parking lot full of, uh, uh, of, of people for Christmas mass, and the police don't raid it. But a Jewish school is open with 30 students, and bang, the police are there yanking them out by their paths. And we accept this. It's, it's sickening. Ask me If you ask me, it's sickening. And I know, I know I'm going to get flack for this. People are going to call me. People are going to email me. And they're going to send me messages saying, Howie, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Why do you talk like this? You know, People are going to hate us more because you're talking like this. The truth is, if we don't talk about this, we don't start growing some guts to talk about things then things will never, ever change. The biggest regret I had from leaving Radio Shalom was losing the the platform where I could talk about these issues and reach the majority of the Jewish community. That that was my biggest problem, leaving Radio Shalom. Everything else there was crazy and, and was horrible to deal with. They were a terrible organization to deal with. I was there for 18 years. It was terrible. All 18 years of them. It was torture to be there. The only plus was that, that that the signal hit the entire Jewish community and people were listening. that was the only plus there I had the most popular show and people would listen to me and so when I talked about issues like this, it hit the ears that, that it had to hit and it, it shook up the uh, it shook the cages of the people that had to shake but other than that it was terrible there. Howie Sobiger, one i am going to take a couple of minute breaks, and uh, when I come back, we'll be joined by Mayor Weinstein. He's the chairman of the Jewish Defense League in, uh, in, in Canada. He'll be joining me by phone uh, in just a couple of minutes, right here on the True Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Howie Silver Show, right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me, and thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're trying to connect with Mayor. When we get uh, when we get through him, he'll join it. When we get through to him, he will join us on the line. In fact, uh, here he is now. We're joined now. I'm happy to uh, to welcome Mayor Weinstein to the program. Program. Hi, program. hi Mayor. Hi, hi, Mayor. Hi, 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 Mayor. Hi, Mayor. Hi, 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 hi Mayor. Hi, Mayor. Hi, 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 hi Mayor. Mayor. Hi, Mayor. Hi. Mayor. Mayor. Mayor, Mayor, Mayor. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, ah, there, ah, there, ah, there, ah, there, ah, there you are. Oh, there you are. Oh, there you are. Oh, why Why are we getting this echo? Hold on second. Second. One, second. one second. I don't
0: know. I'm hearing an echo. Maybe I should call right back. Uh, call
1: right back. Uh, no, give me one sec. I think I figured okay. it out. There we are. Okay. Are, are you there? Okay. You know, it's just a little technical glitch here on <laughs> the <so bigger> house. <laughs> <laughs> it happens occasionally. Yes, thank you so much for joining me, Mayor. I appreciate you taking time out of your uh, your Sunday evening to be here with me on the High no Center problem at Show. all. Uh, I-, I wanted to congratulate you first of all for uh, for, for your work with uh, Food vendors. Now, for those of that haven't been following this story, it's actually pretty fascinating that there is a there is a um, a, a, a food store in Middle Toronto that is um, that that is po- that is putting up anti Jewish, uh, anti Jewish and anti Israel um, uh, propaganda. That mayor's been fighting for uh, for a little while now. Uh, mayor, tell tell us a little bit about the story. Tell us what's going on.
0: Well, I mean, uh, I think the place has been around for a few years. And, uh, I mean, we heard of them through social media that uh, they're anti-Israel and they're uh, into BDS, and that really didn't, uh, you know, the, we didn't really care. But, uh I mean, uh, that's not exactly true that we didn't care, but uh, I mean, we monitor uh, different uh, organizations that are involved, heavily involved with BDS, and uh, so fast forward to uh, I think just before the summer, last summer, is when there's been uh, more provocative uh, BDS activity going on with with that uh, uh, business. And it affected the Jewish community to a large extent uh, I don't think I've ever seen a time recently anyways where the community has been more unified in declaring uh the messaging from that establishment to be uh against the, the community uh, so what what were and, they what were they doing Mayor? uh how, well there was for instance like um uh, posted on, on their social media that uh, no something like no Zionists allowed here. And, you know, at a food establishment where uh, you have that kind of messaging going on, we take that to mean no Jews allowed. And we have a history in Canada. Uh, some Jews remember that uh, at the beaches uh, years ago, there used to be signs no Jews or dogs allowed. And there were establishments that also said that as well, and there's. So we're not going to put up with that. That's the message from Jewish community. We're not going to be putting up with that kind of messaging, and we uh, uh, took action. There's other organizations and personalities who have taken action, and we had uh, some protest activity outside of this establishment. It really resonated with the community. The community is not going to take, a, not going to sit back any longer. And we were pretty front and center in uh, leading the uh, at least the protests.
1: And how did how did how you know, food mm-hmm. vendors foo, uh, react to this?
0: Well, uh, they dug in, and uh, the the messaging seemed to be even more provocative. That uh, even uh, uh, decorated the establishment with balloons. Now you know that's fine. You could decorate it you know, if you're going to entertain people for a birthday party or whatever you want with uh, balloons. But they made it very clear that they identify with the uh uh the balloons from Gaza that are going into Israel, uh targeting agriculture that are incendiary balloons. So when you do that at an establishment, I mean that's really crossing the red line and we could care less if uh, you know, there was a sign there, we love Gaza or something like that, you know, that that doesn't bother us. Go ahead. Go there.
1: Everyone everyone's in uh, with the opinion. people. Yeah.
0: Stay there, whatever you want to do. As long as you want, Uh, but uh, when when it's the other messaging that came with it, that's different.
1: Mayor, I wanted to uh, take a few minutes with you and uh, and talk about anti-Jewism in Canada. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I I talk a lot about anti-Jewism in the states and uh, around the world. I hardly yep. ever cover Canada. I mean, I remember years ago, maybe twenty years ago, twenty-five years ago, I used to cover. Right. I used to cover like you know the National Front and a bunch of other groups here in Canada, but, but they mm-hmm. seem to have faded away. And uh, and um, and and Jew hatred still exists. I know it exists, um, yep. but but I don't know if it exists to the same extent it existed, let's say, in the early two thousands, late nineties.
0: I would say it's actually more serious than even then. I would say that what what I have observed is almost a merger of minds from people on the extreme left and radical Islam and the extreme right. Not for nothing did a BDS leader who's a staunch supporter of Iran reach out and compliment the leader of the Canadian Nationalist Party, uh, who is on record saying some of the most vile anti-Semitism, uh, when they start finding common cause using terms like the Zionists, they embrace each other. There is a serious problem here. And the Jewish community uh, is actually weaker today than it's ever been that I could ever recall. So it lacks the tools We still have some fundamentals in place that we could be effective, but the tools are getting weaker in the community because the community is getting weaker.
1: Do you think that's a result of uh, the community getting rid of organizations like Canadian Jewish Congress?
0: No. No, I don't. I think uh, uh, the Canadian Jewish Congress really, you know, if you look at the Canadian Jewish Congress, um, uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, the Ernst Sandel trial, Um, they were not really the ones who were front and center. It was the Holocaust survivor that I worked with, uh, Sabina Citrin, that took the legal action that propelled the government to get involved, or the provincial government, to get involved at that time against Ernst Sando. And then uh, the Canadian Jewish Congress wanted to have observer status in the uh, court proceedings. Even when it came to uh, tracking down uh, Nazi most in Canada, wasn't the Canadian Jewish Congress front and center? They did testify at the Shane Commission, but I testified as well. Right. And uh, I would say Saul Litman, that led the uh, Sam Winfell Center, did a lot of research, and I worked with Saul on the issue of Nazi war criminals. Uh, I brought in a lot of people, but he brought a lot of attention also to the issue. I can't compliment the Canadian Jewish Congress on that. The Canadian Jewish Congress, I would say, more in terms of social. Uh, issues with the jewish communities through the um um maybe the which organization jewish national fund or uh jewish federation but the federation is still around so i would say sija uh, i think CJA, um elevated uh, the fight against uh uh anti-semitism and the bds uh, better much better than uh than the canadian jewish congress I'm uh, more complimentary about uh, uh, CJ. In fact, some of the people in CJ, and I have my criticisms about right. CJ too, but some of the people in uh, CJ, for instance, uh, Shimon Fogel, I think he's the uh, still the CEO of uh, CJ. Yeah, he is. I uh, tip my hat to the guy. The guy has uh, outstanding skill. Uh, I'd like to see more of of what he uh, Kent has, has done and can do. I'd like to see a lot more. Because uh, he has some very good abilities and skills. Certainly on the political level, I don't get involved. He, uh, he's very good. There's some other people with CJ, the same thing, I could say. But um, Canadian Jewish Congress, no, I don't. Uh, uh, the only one that uh, really misses those days is uh, the former CEO of the Canadian Jewish Congress, Bernie Farber, who I would consider uh, ineffective and today uh, hanging out with people who are making uh, common cause with people like Peter Beinart, who uh, is now anti-Israel.
1: I have to tell you that uh, Bernie Farber and I go way back, um, and uh, he uh, he was very instrumental in the continuous condemnations of my activities here in Montreal. In the, really? in the early '90s. So uh, I, I'm I'm quite aware of who Bernie Farber is and what right. and what he stands for. Right. Yeah. Um, now, now, what, what, where do you feel that, that that the anti-Jewism that we saw in, let's say, the white nationalist groups that used to exist in Canada, has now mm-hmm. been kind of transferred into this anti-Israel, anti-Zionist uh, movement, and that that there I
0: no, have no. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Uh, sometimes there's a slip of the tongue with these organizations when, when you monitor them and you see some of the comments. Actually, uh, they get a, they stop using the terms Zionist. They use the term Jews. Right. So it's very clear. We know what they mean, and uh, it's dangerous because some of these groups will side with and want to be part and identify with bully Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad. Uh, the most radical expressions from uh, Iran. Uh, you know, we're living in a dangerous times. These organizations, some of these groups, they use terms, uh, so-called human rights terms, to try and justify their positions, make terrorists into uh, uh, human rights activists. Uh, you know, it's very interesting because the charge Against uh, uh, groups like JDL. Uh, You're a bunch of Islamophobes, you're so on and so forth, uh, you hate Islam, or you're anti-Muslim. Nothing could be further from the truth, because when we see the Abraham Accords, we embrace that. We see a warm peace. We see that uh, Arabs and Jews, uh, Jews and Muslims uh, getting on with... uh, was something meaningful, something warm, an exchange. I, You know, the CJ had an amazing program, in fact, on Hanukkah, that uh, they had a Zoom uh, meeting going on, and I, I was on it. I was watching this, and uh, it was during the day, and they had over 2,000 viewers that joined them, Canadian Jews, and they had the ambassador from the United Arab Emirates on, and they had an Israeli member of Knesset, who's actually the daughter of uh, Erwin Kotler, on. He had uh, uh, a few other outstanding Jewish leaders that were on. Shimon Fogel, of course, was on. Uh, In fact, he moderated it to a certain extent. And they lit the menorah in the United Arab Emirates. And it was, like, unbelievable. You know, like, go try and do that in Jordan, where there is a peace treaty. You can't do that. Go try and do that in Egypt. Uh, publicly, where there is a peace treaty. There's, like, cold peace deals with those countries. But with these new deals, Morocco, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, there's, like, this warm peace happening. We're very moved by the direction uh, of these peace deals. We hope this, and we hear there's going to be more Arab and Islamic countries that are going to embrace peace with Israel. So we fully reject The accusation of being islamophobes we are targeting radical islamic organizations and those organizations that align themselves with radical iran as well and hamas and hezbollah and those organizations are listed by the canadian government as terrorist organizations we're not islamophobes we're not bigots or anything quite the contrary
1: well i find that most of the time uh, when the radical left disagrees with something you're going to do you become a racist or an Islamophobe. That's that's the that's the general default uh, position when uh, when when they try to oppose you. It's the way they right. try to the way they try to tear you down. Uh, right. If I I could count, I could I, I have I don't have enough fingers to count on my hands how many times I've been called an Islamophobe, a homophobe, or some f- kind of phobe because uh, because I took a position on something, a moral position or a religious position on something, and suddenly I became a hater. Where, where, right. in a lot of, in a lot of these, in a lot of, in a lot of these, ter- in a lot of these senses, uh, in, in a lot of these positions, I take, um, I'm, I'm not really overly concerned about about the issue to start with. But suddenly, I become a hater because I didn't take the publicly accepted position. I took, I took a contrary position. Um, right. And so, so I don't take those. You know, at one time when you were called a racist, uh, that meant mm-hmm. something. That that really you know really stung it, it really meant something. You're a right. racist. I mean, wow, that that was the lowest you could call someone. Today it seems to be like you know an everyday word. It's like calling someone a Nazi. It doesn't have an impact anymore because it's
0: overused. Well, that's true. That's true. In fact, the term Nazi. <laughs> you know, Nazis are responsible for the murder of uh, six million Jews. And you just uh, off the top of your head, you get these left leftists. Oh, you're a Nazi. Uh, Zionism is Nazism, and the huh.
1: Yeah. I mean it doesn't even make sense. It just shows how dumbed down our education system has gotten that college students don't even understand what Nazism is. I mean it's just you
0: know, it's something sad. that um, with all the programs, educational programs that went out from let's say the Canadian Jewish Congress and the Sun Liedenshalt Center, etcetera, etcetera, et cetera, et cetera, on the Holocaust education, and we've come to this point that at the drop of the hat, this is the term they use and it's so empty and they don't even want to be corrected. They think they're so right by labeling, "Oh, you're a Nazi." And so, all the money that was spent on this yeah. Holocaust education doesn't seem to uh, have really led to anything meaningful.
1: Yeah, because you, you know, you know why, Mayor. Uh, I, I I put a lot of thought into this, and I've I've written a lot about this. And um, and and in my opinion, the reason mm-hmm. the reason that uh, that these terms have no meaning anymore is because Jews. We're taught, and, and I went through, I, I, you know, I grew up in that generation, so I, I went through the education. Jews right. were taught that the Jews who died in the Holocaust uh, were, 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 were victims, and we were victims of the Holocaust, and we were not mm-hmm. victors of the Holocaust. We was never cast in a light where we won the war. Judaism is still around. I'm talking to you right here on this station. Right. Uh, I worked for a Jewish radio station for, for 15 years. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we survived. Hitler's not here anymore. Nazis are gone. We're still here. We survived. The only thing you learn in Holocaust education is that there are piles of bodies and, and tractors running these bodies into, uh, into mass graves. And there are crematorias mm-hmm. and smoke coming out of the crematory, and those were your grandparents. That's what you right. learned. But you right. never learned about the partisans. You never learned about the people in the forest. You never learned about the people underground in the tunnels and the uh, fighting the Nazis. Those those lessons were never taught to you. Uh-huh. You learned about Diary of Anne Frank, but you didn't learn about Mordechai Anielewicz. So, so this is this is the issue, right? You never learned about Jabotinsky in school. You 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 always learned about you know you you always learned about Anne Frank, right? So right. So, so why right. why didn't we ever teach our kids or teach the generations? about the heroes of the Holocaust, the people who fought, the people who the people who fought the Nazis, people who stood up to the Nazis, the people who tried to save Jews. We never hear about these people. And only recently, only the last fifteen years, did Holocaust Museums start putting in displays about life before the Holocaust or 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 life of the partisans or you know, these these kind of things. Right. Uh, the only time I ever right. heard about the partisans when I was a kid was when I went to a Holocaust Memorial, the official Federation Holocaust Memorial and they sang the song of the Partisans. That was the only time I ever heard about the Partisans.
0: No, listen, you're right. You're right. There's, uh, the emphasis is wrong. Uh, it's very unfortunate. But here we are today, 2021, yeah. looking back. And you're right. And, and then the terms people are using today, you're a Nazi, he's a Nazi. And uh, they say that about Donald Trump. Could you believe it? Yeah. Jews say that. And, uh, I mean, he's the best friend that Israel has ever had. And he's adopted the Ira definition of anti-Semitism and has taken action on college campuses in the states against anti-Semitism. There, Alan Dershowitz said, "This is historic. Your proclamation against anti-Semitism and Jews have the nerve to compare him to Hitler." Remember, here's the education. What? So how, how do we fight that
1: kind of uh, how, that kind of ignorance? How, how how do we do how do we do it, Mayor? What do what do we do to fight that kind of ignorance? Is it too late? Did we lose that generation of Jews that have fallen to the abyss you know, of?
0: Uh, I was uh, I was thinking thinking something like this uh, over Shabbat. You know, as I was reading the Parsha, and uh, you know this is the last Parsha of uh, of Barathees. And you know there's the story of uh Yaakov he's uh he's gonna bless, he's ready to die and he's gonna bless uh his his sons. And as the Parsha starts, uh he speaks with Joseph, who, you know, became the second most powerful ruler in Egypt, next to Pharaoh. It's where he rose to prominence. And you know, it says that, uh, like, the Jews, they're supposed to leave uh, Israel because of the famine and go temporarily into Egypt and then come back. And it states already that they're they're building, they're acquiring property, and so on and so forth. And the years are going on, and it mentions also how many years Yaakov is there in Egypt, and he knows, you know, I mean, he's old already, so he can't just go back himself like that. And, uh, so he's, um, type of Joseph, and he, just the Joseph, he implores him that, uh, when I'm, when I'm dead, I, w- I want to be buried in Hebron with my parents, my forefathers. I want to be buried there. And Joseph answers, of course, uh, I will, for sure. Yes. And Yaakov makes him swear on oath that like, you are definitely going to do that. So and then any any doubt that but you know there's a question like why did you have to even emphasize it? And then further on, when the sons are at his deathbed and they're all getting a blessing from, from Yaakov and it says there that uh Yaakov was going to uh, was ready to tell them about what's going to happen in the end of days, and It's like a cliffhanger, and there's all kinds of explanations because he didn't tell them what's going to happen in the end of days and I was thinking over Shabbat and today I was pondering this with the state of assimilation that we have today and and that you have Jews in greater number today that are joining BDS, and or if they're not, absolutely no connection or interest in anything Jewish from any era that I could even remember. That there's the question: Why did Yaakov forget? Why did Yaakov not tell them what's going to happen? It says that the Eshtera left him, so he he didn't have the ability to say to them what is going to happen in the end of days. I think he was looking at his sons, and he was a little dumbfounded, that I see reality, what's going on. He's building here, he's building there. I have to convince uh, Joseph, I have to make him swear that he's going to bury me in Israel. They're all so far away from what the original intent was to come down to Egypt temporarily. And maintain our identity and go back to Israel and build a society there. That they have left that. That, in Yaka's mind, in my opinion, it escaped them. End of days. They're not interested. And our generation here, rank and file, are not interested. The future for Jews is in Israel. I wish I did not... Say any kind of a commentary like that. I wish I could say something more optimistic. I just uh, saw the other day, there's a synagogue not far from where I grew up called the Beth David Synagogue Congregation. And I remember that place, a large conservative synagogue with filled with Holocaust survivors and your traditional rabbi. I it was conservative, and at the time, Conservative was more that, um, not so much that they're compromising on things, but they're like, the rabbis kind of like bending some things because these are Jews that know. But what are you going to do, Chaim, He has to work on Shabbat. And this guy, in order to pay for this, so I'm going to make it so they they come, could come into shul and that. Uh, so that was like conservative uh, conservatism uh, then. I uh, bet they're going to bend some, th- some rules, make it a little lenient for a knowledgeable Jewish community of predominantly survivors. Fast forward. The rabbi of the synagogue there now is a lesbian. And I look at some of these lesbian rabbis. Some of them are affiliated, some of them give platforms to BDS leaders. It's like so far from where the community was at one time. And what kind of feel they had for Judaism, for Torah? It's a different generation completely today. Um, so, in the fight against anti-Semitism, sure, there are people I can find people to stand up, and I can inspire. You know, and I, I spoke in Montreal, and we were in a hall. In Montreal at a hotel and, you know, it was packed. I got a standing ovation. I spoke in, uh, Calgary. Same thing. I spoke in Vancouver. Same thing. I don't, I don't do this for a pat on the back. I can motivate some in the community. But for the most part, the reality is the community is going, is flipping, flipping down in an abyss that's not healthy. In Israel, the Jewish community, there is very vibrant identity. Jewish identity is very vibrant. Uh, that's the commentary, and I'm not the only one that says that's the commentary of diaspora Jews
1: today. Yeah, I've been saying that for years already. That uh, yeah. The second we put money above uh, morality, we, we kind of lost a fight here in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember years ago, I fought, one of the Jewish schools in Montreal was uh, pulling Judaism out of their curriculum. They felt right. that it was very hard to teach Jewish kids Judaism in their, mm-hmm. ju- in their Jewish school. And so they hired a couple of rabbis to go and pull Judaism out of their curriculum. They wanted right. to compete with the secular, the secular um, private prep schools that were getting a lot of Jewish students. And they felt that if they competed with them, they would, um, they would, uh, they, they would, they would get more students. So the b- best way to compete with them is to get rid of your Judaism and to, to beef up your sports programs and your other programs. Right. And that's what they were trying to do. And so uh, right. I took a very public stand against that, and I fought, I fought against them, and I riled up the parents. And the parents, they, the, they were trying to change it over the summer, where nobody mm-hmm. was paying attention. Everybody was busy. Kids were in camp. Everybody was busy with other things. And they were trying to pass these resolutions over the summer so that when the kids came back in September, the whole school was different. And I started exposing what they did, and I exposed what they did uh, for, for two months, the two months of the summer. And the parents went wild, and they had to have information sessions, and eventually they fired the rabbis, and the board of directors had to step down. It was a, it was a big mess. Uh, right. At the end of all this, uh, Alvin Siegel from the Siegel Center, the big, the big man with the big money from Peerless Jeans, uh, he, uh, he, he found me in a restaurant one day. I was in the, one of the kosher restaurants, so I was shocked to see him right. in the kosher restaurant. But he came up to me, and he says to me, and, and he's considered one of the you know the stel- stalwarts of the Jewish community. He gives millions and millions right. of dollars. They, they have a theater named after him. They have a cancer center named after him. I mean, like big-time money. He came up to me in the restaurant and he said to me, "Hey, are you Howie Silverman?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "You know, you are the biggest. You you are you are a dinosaur." He says to me, "And you are the biggest threat to Judaism today." And and I looked at him. I said to him, "I'm the biggest threat to Judaism today?" I said, "You're the one who who turned a Jewish theater into a theater that has that has programming on Shabbos, and I'm the threat to Judaism." And he and, and and he basically he basically said, you know. I don't, I don't donate to, your, to, to any cause that you're involved in. I don't, I don't support anything you support. And don't ever think of asking me for money like I would anyway, right? But whatever. Um, <laughs> but, but the guy came to insult me, and you know, he was so upset and so angry that I fought to maintain a little semblance of Judaism in the school that didn't have much Judaism to start with. I was trying Wait, to put man. what little they had to, 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 to inject a little bit of Judaism to Jewish kids, and I was the enemy of the Jewish people. That I have to understand that, you know, the future of the Jewish people in North America is assimilation. So, mm-hmm. so it just kind of reminded me of the story of Hanukkah, because we just passed Hanukkah. It just kind of reminded me of the story yeah. of Hanukkah. Yes. Where, where the, Absolutely. Where the important people said, hey, look, you know, we've got to be Hellenists, right? Yep. And, and it was just a few people who stood up and said, no way. I, I wish right. there were more warriors. I, I really do. It gets i'm sure I'm sure you feel the way the same way sometimes it gets frustrating to be almost the only voice screaming for the same thing.
0: well, I don't really feel frustrated by it uh because I mean I got now once you see know, what's in Israel and uh we were um, uh under the auspices of uh Ralph cook um that I guess would be considered the founder of religious Zionism. although <laughs> really religious Zionism Zionism and Torah, the truth is are uh head in glove. Yeah. So uh the founder is Avram Avinu, But uh but modern day uh religious Zionism. And um yeah, you know, I, I don't believe there's any permanence to uh, the exile. I believe living outside of Israel is ex- is exile and I believe it's consistent with what the Torah says. So I I see the Jewish future in Israel. I see that it doesn't absolve when you live outside of Israel, your obligation to help Jews in Israel. Uh, I don't think anything as a, uh, I don't think it personal, and I don't uh, I don't take that uh, position. There are challenges. Uh, I see the hourglass. Uh, I, I see what's going on with it. Uh, and, you know, the obligation is there. You know, my plans are to... Uh, I to end up in Israel, and uh, very soon, I just uh, I thought I'd be there as of uh, May, in fact, but uh, because of the corona yeah. uh, virus uh, uh, pandemic and all that, it doesn't allow you to, the luxury of coming back and forth to take care of things uh, over there and come right back here, and uh, you can't fly both ways because you're going to be in quarantine uh, there and here, and yeah. on, on all that, so I've got to put some plans aside until things get a little more uh, healthy. Uh, regarding this pandemic, hope it ha- happens quickly. But um, uh, listen, there's a lot of work to do still, and uh, it doesn't take away the, uh, uh, the obligation to speak the truth. I, I never get responded about it. Never,
1: uh, Mayor. You you just started a podcast. Tell me about the podcast. How can people listen to it? What what do they have to do?
0: Well, it's wonderful. You know, I thought uh, you know there was that that's one of the uh uh good things if you could say that that comes out of this uh pandemic is that uh, you start thinking about alternatives to uh uh having meetings and uh, having rallies and activities and that and just that you know there's a lot of information that uh, uh, I'd like to give over to, to our community to our supporters uh, vital stuff. And I believe that, uh, having a, uh, podcast show live with a, uh, phone in is the way to go. So, uh, we, we tried it first, tried one show, had a real good reaction, and we've been doing it, uh, I think this Wednesday night will be the sixth episode, and we cover issues and we expose organizations. And in fact, the last show, we made it a little different. So, we're uh trying to perfect things. We're not we're not there completely, but uh this like for instance the last show we uh we invited somebody in to call in from uh Israel, uh one of the small cities, small towns uh, outside of uh almost in between Batania and Cesarea to explain and she's from Toronto to explain the cost of living there and uh because uh, a lot of people have ideas, but, you know, I, I could never move to Israel because uh, the price is exorbitant uh, anywhere. I want to be in Tel Aviv in a penthouse. I can never get that. Or Jerusalem, I want to live uh, adjacent to the hotel. I can never do it. Cause it's... <laughs> anyway, so we're trying to uh, present, we're trying to give a message with some of our contacts in Israel and this woman from this uh, town called Harish, and uh, she, a lot of people were very interested in what she had to say, so we yeah. had her on for about 15, 20 minutes, and she gave some great information. Um, we also had uh, a martial arts instructor on for a, a segment as well to demonstrate that there's been, uh, in fact, in New York, uh, more vicious physical assaults on uh, the Jewish community, knife attacks, and. You name it. So uh, he was demonstrating some uh, practical moves and techniques. We had him on for about 15, uh, 20 minutes. Then we got on with the uh, show, and uh, we still had the phone in and uh, a lot of information that we were giving out about uh, current uh, trends of anti-Semitism and what's going on in the community and leadership and such. So it's been a real blessing getting tremendous feedback from people. And, again, it's a work in progress. And every week it gets uh, better and better, and you know we uh, we're not there yet to compete with the uh, uh, Ben Shapiro show, but uh, we're working on it.
1: You, you'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> I have faith in you, uh, Mayor. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you very much, and uh, all the best to you
1: and to you. And good luck on the on the podcast. I hope everything works out, and I hope you. Yeah. Kept... I Hope you come back on very uh, again very soon because uh, absolutely It's really a lot to talk about, and uh, we, we should we should talk a little more often and uh, you know and get things, uh, and get things squared up a little more often. I think it's uh, for sure. I think it's important for to, sure. to expose it. All right, I'm Howie Soberg. this' is the Howie Soberg Show. I'll see you again uh, on Tuesday for political Hitman midnight uh, Wednesday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Until then, have a great week.